more life is marked by goodbyes. When you're young, goodbyes are not that big deal. But the, the, the older you get, the more goodbyes you say. We say goodbye to friends who move away. We say goodbye to children who are starting their lives. And we say goodbye to friends who have been promoted to glory through death. Today we say goodbye to friends. Dear friends who have been part of our church for close to two decades and three children ago. Now, saying goodbye is a difficult thing. Uh, Every time someone leaves us, for whatever reason, a little piece of us goes with them. So it's difficult. Saying goodbye is painful and should be that way. It should be painful. Hopefully, the little piece of us that goes with those who leave will help them to be blessings whatever they go. And as, as, as Tanya and the kids move to North Carolina, we hope and pray that the little piece that they take with them from us, that, that will enable them to be a great blessing to the community that they are moving in there. By the way, they're moving into a big house, so if you ever want to go visit, I am personally inviting you uh, <laughs> to go visit them. The, the Apostle Paul experienced... Uh, many goodbyes, but perhaps none was more difficult than saying goodbye to his beloved Ephesian brothers. We can see how difficult it was for both the Ephesians and Paul by what Luke says in the waning verses of chapter 20, starting verse 36, where it says that they wept, and, and you can picture there that they knelt to, kneeled to pray, they wept, and Luke says that they fell on each other's necks. That's the idea of throwing your arms around and having a difficult time letting, letting it go because you know that uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to see those people or that person ever again. So I'd like for us to focus this morning on this goodbye, but especially on Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders in verse 32. This is really the actual farewell words that Paul gives to his beloved Ephesians up to this point. He believed that he would never be able to see them again or even write to them. Now, he was wrong on this point because uh, he was able to at least, very least, write to them again um, in um, two years or so after this point. In verse 32, Paul says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Notice that Paul calls them brethren. He calls them brethren. A brother or a sister is someone we are united to because of our faith in and union with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans, Paul says, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. So as brothers, we have this strong bond. No matter where we are, we have this strong bond because of Jesus Christ who is our head and we are his body. A brother or a sister is one who God has brought together into one body. In Ephesians chapter 4, that Paul wrote to these, these same people just a few years later, 
He says that we are to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body, there is one Spirit, just as we, you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So when we say goodbye to a brother, to a sister, it's painful, but they're not leaving in the sense that we are still united with them because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're part of the body of Christ, and that's true of all believers throughout the ages and throughout the world. We have one Lord and we're part of one body. A brother or a sister is someone who is united together with us with a common goal, the glory of God and the discipling of the nations. So as we say goodbye to Tanya, to Sadie, to Ezra, to Eli today, we are saying goodbye as we continue to do the same work together. We're going to be 3,000 plus miles apart but both of them there and us here will be discipling the nations for the glory of God. Praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we, we all just long to see him face to face. A brother or a sister is a blood-bought citizen of heaven. So they are going to become citizens or residents of the great state of North Carolina. And we continue to be uh, citizens of the Communist Republic of Washington. (laughs) We are citizens of a greater place. We are citizens of heaven, of eternity together. So we say goodbye, but it's not goodbye for too long. A brother or a sister is someone we minister to and they minister to us. And we've experienced that through the years. Uh, in Hebrews 12, it says that uh, when you're going through a discipline process, it doesn't seem pleasant for the time, but afterwards you see the fruits of that. And some of you ladies might be really embroiled in, in, embroiled in the embroidery of those squares, and you feel like you're under discipline by having to do so many squares. But then later on, when you, when you give the blanket to the expecting mother, and there's great joy in, in, in the mother, and the, the baby uses that blanket for a long time, remember who started that. It was Tanya. So we minister to and are ministered by the brethren, by our brothers and sisters. We can see that in Paul's speech. They were together in the trenches of the gospel. They were together. This is, Paul is not speaking to a people who were doing something over there while he did something over here. They were together, shoulder to shoulder, ministering Christ to one another and to a dark and lost world. Jonathan Edwards, in his last letter to his wife, Sarah, just before he died from taking experimental smallpox vaccine, said that in their marriage, they had an uncommon union. That's how Edwards described his marriage to Sarah. That's true of us, brothers and sisters. We have an uncommon union. We have been joined together by an uncommon union because Christ has brought us together. Let's all be honest. If we had to pick who we would be with, perhaps we wouldn't pick each other. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
the church is made of, of unlike people. People that perhaps naturally will not gravitate to one another. And yet God has brought us together through an uncommon union, a union through the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us part of one another. And it's this union, this being part of one another, that allows us to serve God together. And to say goodbye, and to be in pain as we say goodbye, but also knowing that that union continues independently of geography. That we're united with our brothers throughout the world. So Paul calls them brethren, but then he commands them, commands with an E. I cannot make that difference. Again, tell you, the word C-O-M-M-A-N-D and C-O-M-M-E-N-D sound exactly the same to me, the same way as M-A-N and M-E-N sound exactly the same to me. So again, I, I, I made that I, that, I pleaded with you last time. It didn't work. People still came to me. This, this is how you say, squirrel. It doesn't matter, okay? It's not... <laughs> But here Paul commands with an E them. Look at verse 32. So now, brethren, I command you to God. This word means to place something before someone else. It also means to entrust oneself to, to commit oneself to the care of another. Uh, it is a word that Christ uses while placing the bread in front of the hungry multitude of 4,000 in the book of Mark's, Mark. In Mark 8, 6 says that Christ set the bread before them. That word set the bread before them is the same word here, which is a command in our scriptures. What does Paul set before them as they are they're saying goodbye? What is the thing that Paul says, I wanted to leave, last thing, if this is the last time I talk to you, what is it that I wanted to put before you that you don't forget? In this case, not bread. It's rather the bread of life. Look at what he says there in verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. He places God before them. So Tanya and Sadie and also Ezra but Eli, as you leave us, I want you to go with God. And this is not any God. This is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, we are saying goodbye and that hurts. But as we do so, I don't want to, I don't want to place myself before you. I want to commit you to God. See Him. Look at Him. Trust Him. Love Him. So, Tanya, Sadie, Eli, we hope that when you think of us, that that, that thought will remind you of God. Now, we, 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 in a lot of ways, we want to decrease in your life if that means that Christ will increase as you go on with your life. And the God... Paul sets before the brethren is the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, the one who didn't spare his own son for our sake. And he says, I command us, set that God before you. And setting God before each other is something we must do at all times, not just in times of saying goodbye. Can you imagine if our, all our relationships at home, all our relationships at church revolved around placing God before each other? 
We would be pointing each other to his loveliness. We would be displaying his grace bestowed upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be reflecting his glory to one another as Moses did when he came down from the mountain and his face uh, shone. We would be doing what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to do in Matthew chapter 5, 16. Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All men, including the brethren. Can you imagine if our relationships, not only when we say goodbye, but every day, will be marked by commending each other to the Word of God, by placing the Word of God in front of each other, or that we would place God before each other as a regular practice in our lives. So he says, I commend to you God... But he doesn't stop there. Look again at verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. He commands, he places the word of God before them. And notice how he qualifies it as the word of his grace. Now, the Bible is about a lot of things. We can go our entire lives studying the scriptures and still not be able to unfold everything that the Bible is about. But it, it, it is centrally about God in His grace redeeming His people in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, when Paul is teaching the Galatians about what history is all about, he says that for centuries they were mastered by the law. The law was their headmaster leading to a particular time, but the fullness of time, the greatness of time, the time that all was pointing to, was the time when Jesus came, was born of a woman like we are, lived a life of perfection, died a death that we deserved, came back to life so that we could have life. That is what the Bible is essentially about. And I want you to notice that placing God's word before the brethren was something that marked Paul's Christian life, not just in times of saying goodbye, but his whole life was about setting the Word of God, all his whole Christian life was about setting the Word of God in front of people. Look at what he says in verses 26 and 27. It says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Later on he says that for three years, day and night, with tears in his eyes, he put the Word of God before, before them. And Paul places the word of God before them because it is that word that builds them up. Look again at verse 32. So how now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to edify you, to make you straight, to prop you up, to, to make you do to, or, or be whom God has designed you to be. Four years, as little as four years after Acts chapter 20, he writes to young Timothy in, in t- 2 Timothy chapter 3. And Timothy seems to, seem to have been um, struggled with the fear of man, like we all do. Timid, worried about what people in the church were saying. And then Paul says, look, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what 
you have, Timothy. That's what I'm setting before you, this word. And then Paul says, I charge you, therefore, despite of your timidity, despite of the fear of man, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Notice what Paul is doing here. Timothy, you're afraid of men. You're afraid of men. But guess who's going to judge all people? It's not men. It's God. And based on that, Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching. So Paul says, Ephesians, I commend to you to the word of God that build you up. Preach the word. But this is not something that only happens in preaching. This happens in everyday life. Again, he tells the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, that we have to put off all these things that permeate, sinful things that permeate our, our speech so that the words that come from our heart are, are tenderhearted, causing each other to be built up in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, Paul, puts before them, commends to them, them to the word of God. He places them places the word of God before them. Brothers and sisters, we cannot place before others what we don't have. If you have not made the word of God your own, you don't have it to give to others. And we cannot really place before others what we don't love. So appropriate yourselves of the Bible. Love the scriptures that you might be able to Put it before other people. Wouldn't that be great, brothers and sisters, if we get the place that we're so filled with the Bible that we didn't even have to think about it when we interacted with people, Bible came out. And I don't mean quoting verses and references, but that our speeches would be so filled with the word that we love that it just spills out. You know, um, um, Psalm 23 talks about our cup running over with the grace of God. What is, the, what, what is the idea, what's the image you have in your mind of a cup running over? Now, if you have a bucket, like we have a, our main line that comes into our basement is leaking. There's a little drop, right? So every time we have to close the main line to do some work in the house, for days afterwards, this little drop drops. And we have to put a bucket under it. And if we're not careful, that bucket gets too full. And when I say bucket, I use the term bucket very loosely. <laughs> In any sort of container we put uh, yeah, out there. And when the bucket gets too, too full, what's inside of the bucket comes out of the bucket and spills everywhere. If our cup, the cup of our heart, is filling to the brim with the Word of God... Guess what happens if people bump into us? Word of God comes out. Guess what overflows is the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 27, uh, 97 and 98 say, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Is that a description of us? Is the Word of God so placed before us that we love it and that we meditate on it and that nobody has anything 
nobody has any effective things against us because the word of God dominates us. And Paul places the word of God before the brethren because in it we find out about our inheritance as those who have been set up apart by God for his own purpose and glory. Look at verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to the God and to God and to the word of great of his grace, which is able to build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is God who gives us an inheritance, not his word. But God's existence is so tied with his word that here Paul says that the word of God gives us an inheritance. What is our inheritance? First of all, God himself. I know, I'm not sure if you ever followed 1 Corinthians 15, such a long chapter that we tend to get lost in the middle of it. Those 58 verses. But there's this passage in the middle of the chapter that says that everything is moving to the consummation in which Jesus Christ will fulfill all things and then is going to hand all things to the Father. And that's the end of it. Everything is heading to that day. That's the inheritance. God himself. But there's more. Freedom from sin. Eternal life. Ability to see Jesus and fellowship with him as he is and with each other. The new heavens and new earth, the kingdom of God in Christ, these are all things that come from God as our inheritance. So we'll say goodbye. We'll say goodbye to Tanya, to Sadie, to Ezra, to Eli. But we say a Christian goodbye. We'll say a goodbye by committing them to God and his word. But we also do that to each other, to all of us who stay behind. Let us live lives that are always committing each other, placing God, placing his word before each other, that we might grow into the fullness of Christ as he designed us to be spurring, steering, um, irritating each other unto love and good works, as if Hebrews 10 tells us. So Paul says, Brethren, I commend, to you, to you, God, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Tonya, Sadie, and Eli, would you come forward this time so we can pray for you? If the elders would join us. <clears throat> Would you join us in prayer for this family? Father in heaven, we thank you for Tanya, for Sadie, for Eli, for Ezra. We pray that you bless them as they uh, move to North Carolina. We pray for a um, safe travel. Father, we pray above all that they would find great community as they go to North Carolina. We pray that the, the church they are going to go to would surround them with love. We pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to build them up in the most holy faith. We pray that they would experience your presence with them. We pray that you comfort them as they uh, also hurt, as we hurt when they leave. And we pray to comfort us here as well. We thank you for them. And Father, though they are never uh, going to be replaced, they're not replaced, but we, we do pray to bring others 
to continue to minister with us here as we give them to North Carolina. Thank you for them and bless them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.